Second Kings chapter four. Again tonight, please. Second Kings and the chapter four. Open your Bible and keep the scriptures open at this portion. Thank you very much, Adrian, and you're very welcome tonight to the Bible study and the prayer meeting. Tonight and next Wednesday night, God willing, we are drawing to a close our series, Surviving the Sifting. Tonight is the sixth message and the third one on parental sifting. It seems to be that the Holy Spirit has brought us back time and time again to this portion of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 4. The more we would desire to go on with so many others in the Word of God who were sifted, some surviving it and some not surviving it. And it's the very same today. The more we would have wanted to do that, we were not allowed to do that and we have to obey the Spirit and keep doing what the Lord has asked us to do. So here we are tonight and uh, we're looking again at this wife, this mother, who through no fault of her own, no fault of her son, and no fault of her husband, was plunged into a noonday awesome scene of death in the home. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but thank God the Lord delivers us from them all. Sometimes I, as I have said in previous nights, sometimes the sifting, like in Job, comes from God. Although Satan did it, it came, uh, it began with God. And sometimes uh, in the New Testament, we read of Peter, and sometimes it comes through Satan. Now, I want you to understand that. that sometimes the sifting is God, and sometimes the sifting is Satan. But in both cases, God is sovereign, and in both cases, God is in charge. And in both cases, God allows the time, the limit, the endurance, uh, the complexity of it and the timing of it is all in his hand. Oh, the old Satan can catch the sieve and he can give it a bit of a shake. You know, when God's working with us and moving to us, the old devil will come and he'll shake as well. That's what Peter, uh, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. He knows, he knows how to, to sift. The lessons to be learned from such things in the life of the believer are enormous and essential and necessary in order to test us and to try us and to show, us our, to show him our loyalty, our ability and our agility to stand in the teeth of the gales and of the storms of life, which from now on we are going to hit like we have never hit before 
in our land, in our province, and in our church. And you better believe that, for many are not going to survive the siftings that's going to come in amongst the people of God. We have seen that in COVID, and we're going to see more of it as the time goes on. Some survive it, and some don't survive it. And we listed numbers and names and families and people who survived it and some who didn't survive it. But we're back at this woman tonight again, this uh, great woman. She's called from Shunem, who was suddenly cast into what must only be one of the most painful of all siftings that can come to a family, and that is the death of a child. Her boy was somewhere about four or five years of age. He was the only boy, and we don't have to elaborate uh, and rehearse what we did on past nights regarding it, other than to say, in the morning, uh, in the morning he took a severe headache out in the harvest field with his father and with the reapers and the gleaners, and by noontime he was dead on his mother's knee. Now, harvest time is a time of business and busyness, but it's also in the East a time of joy. It's a joyful time. And suddenly the halt came to the business. And suddenly the joy came, the, 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 the joy was removed from the home. Suddenly, just in a crack of a moment, the whole thing turned upside down, as it can do and might well do with any of us before this week is out. Some said that a young man got sunstroke. I don't know, it was in the morning whether the sun was that high enough. I don't know, some say he got a hemorrhage, I don't know, and it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter. And when his life is on his mother's knee, really, what happened to him? But I want to say this as I go on tonight, unannounced, unexpected, uninvited, another reaper appeared in the field that morning. The grim reaper of death. And that's a reality that we need to keep hammering at, and we need to keep remembering ourselves. In, this, uh, in these days, we need to always never forget the brevity of life and the shortness of time, and death could come at any moment. The devil knows how to pull the reins on the business. He knows how to silence the joy. He knows how to cast a cloud over a sunny day. He's good at that, and he knows how to work it. His harvest time is all the year round. Summer, winter, autumn, spring, 365 days in the year, morning, night, and noon, Easter day, Sabbath day, Christmas day, Boxing day, birthdays, his barns are pressed full, and his, his wine presses are full, and his barns are full. He never stops to sharpen his sickle. He never stops to, to sharpen his sword. He never, blunts his, he, never, he never blunts his sword. His crops never fail. As Job says, the gates of hell and the doors of death are never closed. Grave, the grave is never, never says enough. Enough. Whether it's Abel among the flocks, whether it's the rich farmer among the crops, whether it's Dorcas with the knitting needles in her home in Joppa, whether it's you take us on the window sitting, sleeping when Paul was preaching and through us. Whether it was Lazarus the brother or Jairus the daughter or Absalom the prince in the palace. 
death, death has come to them all. Death knows no, no bounds. Whether it's the suicide of King Saul, whether it's the suicide of Ahithophel, <laughs> whether it's the 18 at the accident and the Tower of Siloam fell, or the ones that the galley that Herod slew the Galileans when they were mingling the when they mingled the sacrifice with blood, it's appointed unto man once to die. This woman here could echo the words of Jeremiah, who later said in Jeremiah 10 and verse 21, Death has come up to the window, has cut off the children from without, and the young men from the streets. Now, something struck me greatly in this passage that I didn't see other nights. If you look at verse 21 and verse 22, and there we are, we're just going in there again tonight. After the, after the boy died at noon on her knee, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. Now there's something struck me greatly here in the past week that I must share with you for a moment tonight. The commotion and the concern and the panic, although I wouldn't think there was panic because this woman was a woman of hope, faith and love. But whatever commotion and concern there should have been or could have been, it didn't start until the child died. That's strange, isn't it? That's unusual. Had she and her husband not at least three hours to attend to the dying boy, to get help? Could she not have sent her husband to Carmel? Could she not send some of the servants, for she was a wealthy woman and they had many servants? Could she not send some, some of the sons of the prophets who were nearby? But she didn't. Just as, as we might say in our day, we go for the nurse or go for the doctor, or go for the paramedics, go for the ambulance, go, go for the medicine. But this whole scene erupts after the child died. Run, she says, and get an ass. Go flat out, full bore, as fast as you can go. Sixteen miles across the valley of Jezreel in the burning sun, which took five or six hours. In verse 29, if you care to look at it, you'll see what Elijah said to Gehazi. When he sent Gehazi to the house, why he sent him, I don't know. They sent Gehazi to the house, and it says there in that, in, in, in that verse, gird up, he said, gird up thy loins, tighten up the stuff round you, and run, man, Make my, take my staff and thine hand, and go thy way. And if I meet any man, salute him not, talk to him not, or salute or answer him again, and, and lay the staff upon the face of the child. Flee, run, speed. But I hear somebody saying, but the child's dead. If I would have been there, I would have said, but he's dead. Yes, that's the very point I want to spiritualize for a minute. Once it dawns on us, once it dawns on us parents and dawns on the modern evangelical church, 
Once we realize that our children are dead in trespass and in sin, without hope and without God and without Christ, when we realize that, maybe we'll smarten ourselves. I don't believe we realize that. Do we realize that they're bound for hell and the lake of fire? We hardly hear it ever preached on. Do we think that the child children are going to get better? They get better educated. But they're not going to get better morally or any other way. They're dead. And, uh, uh, and he or she that liveth in sin is dead while they live. This, my son, was dead and he's alive again, the prodigal said about the father. Once we realize, my friend, the awesomeness of spiritual death, you being dead who were, you being quickened who were dead in trespass and in sin, it took nothing but a miracle, I tell you, to raise us out of darkness into light. Nothing but a miracle is the regeneration and no hope outside of Christ. Once we keep remembering that, once we keep remembering that, maybe then we will realize, we realize that nothing else is going to be any use. Maybe then we realize that education is not all that important. Our houses or cars are not all that important. And we may realize that our boy, our girl, is going to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Do we not realize it? We don't believe it. Because if we believe that tonight this place would be full... Men and women would be crying if they believed that their boy by this time tomorrow will be in the flames of hell. You either believe it or you don't. The prodigal's father ran to the dead son. Philip ran to the dead, dead sinner out on the hill. Mary and Peter and John ran to the sepulchre to the dead saviour. I tell you, the king's business requires haste. The business of the kingdom of God requires haste. Why the urgency? Why the urgency? Why the speed? Why, why hurry? Why be busy? I'll tell you three reasons quickly why. Because the Spirit of God could stop striving at any moment. My spirit shall not always strive with man, God says. No doubt I believe that the prayers, and we have seen conversions in past weeks, and thank God for that good, whole, powerful repentance and conversion, and that's good. But I tell you, no doubt our prayers and your prayers and the prayers on Monday and the prayers on Wednesday night that are going up in this place, no, no, no doubt God is striving with our families. And thank God he's striving with a family. That word strive in Genesis 6 and 3 is judgment. And God is judging your boys and he's judging your children and he's calling them to, to court and he's calling them to repentance and he's calling them to pardon. And thank God for that. And let us keep praying because God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Oh, and that stops. It's a sad moment, and it can, and it has, and I know those that it has stopped. 
and there's no desire any longer. Oh, keep praying. I tell you, one reason is the Spirit of God will stop striving. The second reason is this, that the saints of God can stop praying because any moment he'll burst the clouds and come again and take us out of this hole and the church will be gone and the prayers will be gone. The mother's prayers will be gone. The father's prayers will be gone. Our prayers will be gone. The church will be closed and it'll be in hell. Oh, you're very serious tonight. Yes, I am. Indeed I am. Because this has been lived to me all week. The saints could stop praying at any moment. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise forth and will be whipped out. And the saints will be gone and the spirit will be gone and it will be over to the devil full, full bang. But not only will the spirit stop striving and the saints stop praying, yes, and the Savior will stop calling. Come now, let us reason together, he's saying to the sinner. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, he'll stop speaking. And then, and then it's too late. Now before we go on to this resurrection scene, because there's a resurrection scene here in this passage. Before we go on to this resurrection scene, there's something in verse 28 that the Lord showed me. I want you to look at verse 28. Whenever Gehazi ran and fled those 16 miles, nobody, I tell you this, nobody else would have been out. Nobody else would have went across the plains of Jezreel in the heat of the day. They were all under shade. They are all having siesta time. They are all out of action. Even the harvest fields in the noonday. But this woman made her way. Shows you the zeal and the desire and the longing and the hunger she had for her boy. And when she made her way across there and she came to, 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 Elijah, to Elisha, I want to tell you that there's a real re message re-sifting here. And I'll say, tell you what it is. While she longed for a child, she never asked for it. She never asked for a child. Oh, she longed for it, but she couldn't have one because her husband was old, the scripture tells me. And it wasn't possible physically to have her a child. So what she's saying here in verse 28 is, did I desire a son? Did I ask you for this child? Did I ask you for this burden? Did I? Now, for a Jewish woman not to have a man-child was looked upon as judgment on them. But she seemed to be content. She says, I am content with what I have. Boy, she was some woman. 
And I'm not going back on that. We preached on that other night, but she did say, she, he, says, he says, what do you want? I'll, I'll go to the king for you. And boy, he had some, he had some clout with the king for you. He was after hammering the Moabites. He says, I'll go to the king or I'll go to the head of the army. I can get anything, anything that you want. She says, I want nothing. I'm just content the way I am. Now, we know very well that the Jewish women were not content that hadn't children. We know that Rachel said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Hannah cried and prayed and wept and Sarah and many more. But this woman was content. Even Eve, even Eve when she gave birth to Cain, she says, I've got a man-child from the Lord. They thought, he was the, they thought he was the Messiah even because the, the Messiah had been promised before that. They thought this is the Messiah. I'll tell you, he turned out to be no Messiah. Turned out a murder. You don't know what way your children will turn out. But here's what this woman's saying. What she's saying here. This child is dead, and she knew the child was dead. And this is up to you now, Elisha. I tell you, this woman's on good praying ground. You know why she's on good praying ground? Because if you compare the woman of Sarephath in, in 17 with Elijah, her child, she was a widow, her child died. No, it's only back a few years from here. And her child died. And the woman of Sarephath said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Hast thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Now, I don't know what she was talking about. I don't know what sin she was talking about. I don't know how the boy came about. But I will tell you this, she had doubts in her mind that it is something to do with herself. You hear what I'm saying now? She had doubts in her mind that it is something to do with herself. I don't know what the sin was and I don't know how the boy came about and I don't know what she was talking about. But she's not on good praying ground. When we go into intercessory, desperate prayer for something, for in some crises, we don't need doubt or fear or guilt to be in our minds. Do you hear what I'm saying now? Because you're at a loser at the very beginning. Because the devil will take that up. Listen to me now. When you go into intercessory prayer and you cry to God for your children and you cry to God in some crisis or something, you need to be able to look up to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know anything. This is your problem, Lord. This is your doing, Lord. And you need to take the child and you need to lay the child on the bed and come out and close the door and leave it to God. Too many of us hoke and poke, try to do God's work, I didn't ask for this child now, Lord. And there's some of you here tonight, and, and I see Sylvie here tonight, and I see myself here tonight, and Pat here tonight, and Claire here tonight. I didn't ask for Jonah. Sylvia didn't ask for Glenn. 
but we wouldn't be without them. But thank God tonight. Thank God tonight for them. But we didn't ask for them. So so it's up to the Lord to look after them. It's up to the Lord to look, look after them and care for them, even when we're gone. Many times in 35 years, I have stood, and I can remember, and not so long ago, I've stood and I've said to the Lord, Lord, I never asked to come to the Maui. I never did. I never asked to come to the lifeboat. I never asked to leave my job, a job that I said that I loved with all my heart. I never asked. And then when the crises come up and the trials come up and the splits come up and all hell turns against you, I can say, Lord, it's yours. I lay it on your bed. You look after it. It's good to be on praying ground like that, you know. And if you're not on praying ground like that, you make sure that whatever it is that's, that's between you and God, you get it sorted out. Because once you go to pray with guilt and fear and, and these things on your mind, the devil comes in like that and the whole thing's over. He's a liar. Don't you let him threaten you. And even though there's things in your past life and there's things that you can't understand and know and there's things that you can say, yes, that's my fault, it is my fault, but God is gracious and loving and forgiving and cleanses us from all sins. Oh, thank God for a merciful God. And no matter what the past is, it's blotted out. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Don't let the devil... Get at you when you go to pray. So you great to be able to say, Now, Lord, this is yours. This is your business. This is your work, Lord. This is yours. You said you called me out of the job. You showed me the hill, the river, the valley. There's not a day in my life, and I say that before God, but I don't say, Lord, the hill, the river, and the valley is yours. I didn't ask for it. And there's many things in life we didn't ask for. And the things that I have asked for, God has turned them upside down. Do you hear me now? He has turned them upside down. You remember the mother of James and John? She was asking for a place in the kingdom for her two sons. When you come in your kingdom, Lord, will you give James and will you give John the right hand and the left hand in your kingdom? And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're talking with. You be careful what you ask for your children. But James wasn't long until he was beheaded. And John ended up 90 years of age hewing stones out of the quarry to make Roman roads. Be careful. Be careful. A fellow said to me years ago in this place, he's, when we were talking about planning, he says, oh, we'll get the planning. Christian man, get the planning. I says, how will you get it? Brown envelope. <laughs> Brown envelope. Brown envelope slipped to the planners. Oh, I'm told he did it and got planning. I thank God there's no brown envelopes here. I thank God there's no white envelopes here. 
I thank God there's an offering box at the back and always has been. You never hear us asking for money. And members will hear tomorrow night that God has been good to us. We need to lay it on the bed. We need to lay it on his bed, casting all our care upon him, for he cares for thee. That's what we do with our children. Casting all our care, lay it on his bed and close the door and run to his feet and hold on to him. And that's what she did. And she wouldn't go with it. Here's and you'll see in a minute why. It's him we need. That's some boy with a staff. It's him we need. I learned some lessons from this portion of Scripture during the week. That's why I had to come back to it. I'm glad that I didn't have to hoke and to poke to get something, to get out here, to come here, to do anything. I'm glad for it would all have fallen around me long ago. All long ago. Now, verse 32. He sent Elisha. I don't know why, he, why Elisha had this boy as a servant. I don't know. I can't understand it. All I know that in one bit of a verse here, he said that there's things God hasn't showed him. Elisha said that. So he's only a man. There's times that the Lord doesn't show us things and there's times the Lord's servants don't know everything and don't you think that they do? Verse 27, if you want to care to look at it, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. The Lord hath hid it from me. I don't know. He didn't know everything, Elisha. You know, he was only a man. And the Lord hides things from us at times. But here we are at this verse, verse 32. And when Elisha was come into the house, you know how the boy ran on with the staff and he came in. We'll be talking about him as we close. I'm nothing good to say about that boy. 32. And when Elisha came into the house, behold, the child was dead. And you'll find that three times in this portion of Scripture, you'll find that the child was dead to make sure that you know that it didn't faint and didn't swoon, it was dead. They talk about this coming up to Easter now, that he swooned and a wee drop of air got into the tomb and revived him and he came out. That's what they'll be at. He's dead. Elijah's in the closet with a death. He's in the closet with a dead boy and the door closed, and the mother and Gehazi outside. Mother's not in here. Look at verse 33. And every time you read of anybody raised from the dead in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it was always through prayer. You trace them now and come to me if I'm wrong. Look at what it says in verse 33. And he prayed unto the the Lord. Right? He interceded unto the Lord Jehovah. There's no showmanship here. 
There's nobody to influence here. I pray often and we pray here, Lord, save us from the pride of prayer and from the praise of prayer and from the pride of preaching and the praise of preaching. No showmanship here. He could have well said, come on, gather around here. I have seen the eye of the mantle of Elijah on me. Elijah was my mentor. I have seen mighty things happening. I have seen bears tearing boys apart. I have seen the widow's, the widow's oil vessels filled to capacity. I have seen God. Come in and hear me pray. No. No, sir. No, sir. He, there's intercession. Now, we don't know what he said. It doesn't say what he said. But we know this if you read down these verses. If you went back, I'll tell you that. I'll say that in a minute. Before I say that, let me say this. He went back to how it was done before. He went back in his mind to first Kings 17 and the raising of the woman, the widow woman, son of Zarephath. Because he would have known about that. And what's more, he knew about the fire that came down in Carmel. He knew about the rain and the famine. He knew all these things, this man. He knew very well. And, and, and Elijah was his mentor. Elijah, he had Elijah's mantle. And he goes right back in his mind and he goes back, how did you do it, Lord, before? Prayer. How did you raise the dead? Prayer. Shut the door of the closet and get in and pray. If it worked before, it'll work again. Do you not think that was in his mind? He remonstrated with God. Verse 35 says this, then he returned, verse 34, and he went up and lay upon the child and put the mouth upon his mouth and the eyes, that's not intercession, now it's humiliation. He humbled himself right down to the level of the child. There was nobody there, only him. Eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth. He must have had to tighten himself. I tell you, he had to screw himself up. He was only a four or five-year-old boy, this. Talk about humility. Talk about humility. And verse 35 says he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him again. Now, I don't know how many times he'd done that, but it says here once, I think it was more, he went back and he went forward. He lay on the child and he, he prayed and he lay on the child and he got up of the child and he walked up and down. I tell you, winning souls is hard work. Raising the dead is hard work. 
You see, there was intercession, there was humiliation, there was continuation. He kept at it and at it and at it, on the boy, off the boy, in the closet, walking up and down, crying unto God. Boys, I'd love to have been there. Don't let them go easy now. Don't let the boy go easy. Don't let the girl go easy. Close the closet door. Shut out the old phone and the internet and TikToks and all that you have. Shut them outside and get down to prayer at the bedside for the boy. There was intercession, there was humiliation, there was continuation. Oh, but look at this. There was radiation. Hallelujah. Look at verse 34. And he went up and lay upon the child, upon his mouth, his mouth, his eyes, his eyes, hand to hand. He stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. He felt something. <laughs> he felt a warmth. He felt a heat. He, he felt a presence. There's a wee fire being kindled in the soul of this boy. It's a small beginning, but it's there. The first thing he did, he felt, and the second thing he heard. What did he hear? Then he returned and walked, verse 35, to the house to and fro, and up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. Blessed sneeze. Now, I'm not going into the seven sneezes tonight, and I could talk about bits of them. And someone said he sneezed, and every sneeze it cleared the head, and that was the bridal. So I can't go into that. But I know Jonah up there, who's limited in all his intelligence, whenever some of us sneeze, he says, Bless you. I wonder, did it come from here? Wonder that where it come from? Bless you. I'll tell you, this was some blessing. First thing he felt, the second thing he heard, the third thing he saw. I don't know what he said. He saw life. I don't know what the, the mother didn't say anything. The mother didn't do anything. He sent Gehazi, bring the, bring the mother in. And the mother went in. She didn't go to the boy, first of all. She went to his feet. Look at what it says. And he called Gehazi and said, call the son of Verse 36, so he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. She went in, fell at his feet. She's back at his feet again. And bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. She never said a word. Adoration, worship, praise filled her heart and her soul. She couldn't say anything. She couldn't say anything. Adoration, jubilation. You know, this boy could have cried out. I was thinking yesterday, I am he that liveth and was dead. He could have cried that out in the middle of that wee chamber that day, but he'd had to stop there. But there was one says, I am he that liveth and dead. I'm alive forevermore. Hallelujah. This boy had to die again. 
And I don't know about you, but I only want to die once. There was death an enemy. I don't want to die twice. Born twice, and that's good enough. I don't want to die twice. All these that were raised from the dead, every last one of them had to die again. And I don't know how this boy died, I don't know how long he lived, but he had to die. And so had Elisha, and so had the mother, and so had the Gehazi, and I wouldn't have liked to have his death. Now we're going to close with Gehazi. We'll have to cut it short. I want to leave plenty of time for prayer. Let me say this. I can't understand why or how Gehazi became a servant to Elisha. Other than to say this, he didn't know everything. But that's not the point. The point is this. There's lessons to be learned here in this man that we need to learn in these last days in which we live. One of the greatest warnings to the church in these last days comes from Gehazi, whose name means denier and deceiver. Twelve times he's mentioned in Scripture. He's a rank apostate. He's one of those boys that's in the church and he's right up at the top. He's as close to the work as any man can get. And yet he's a deceiver. I tell you, we need discernment. Deceptive spirits everywhere today in the churches. If you just saw this boy walking through, shun him with the cloak on him and the staff on him, and the crowd gathered round the wee chamber, and it would have been midnight and after it, remember. It was five or six hours one way and five or six another way. If you'd have seen this boy walking through the village of Shunham with the staff and with the black cloak on him and maybe a fish hat or something on him, and the crowds all gathered, oh, there's Gehazi. And maybe when he went up the stone steps into where the boy was, he might have turned round and waved at them. Or he might have said, he might have read a verse, he might have read the shepherd's psalm to them. Thy rod and thy staff were comforted with thy. I tell you, the rod that he had and the staff that he had in his hand comforted nothing. It brought, made death worse than death. There's no life in this boy. There's no life in the staff either. He never prayed. Do you notice that? He never prayed. Never prayed. Now let me say this about him. I'm having time and we could take a night on him. The first thing I saw about Gehazi was that I see about apostates, that I see about those who, who are anti-gospel, anti-church, and they don't see them, you don't see them, you don't understand them, they're, they're everywhere, and all oh, are lovely men, great men. This boy, the first thing I noticed about this boy, he had no passion. 
Because whenever this poor, distraught woman went to 16 miles, five or six hours in the burning sun, and she leapt off and she fell and she caught the, ho- ho- the, ho- the feet of Elijah, he pushed her away, he thrust her away, he fired her away. No passion. Oh, now don't be getting excited. Don't be getting excited. Don't be getting all worked up about two or three prayer meetings a week and fasting and praying. And all. The, the, the wee boy, if he's going to live, he's going to live. If he's going to die, if he's going to die. I'm a Calvinist. I'm a hyper-Calvinist. doesn't matter whether you pray or whether you give him a track or whether he's going to die. Well, then why are they praying? Oh, that's the first thing I noticed about this boy. He had no passion. Then the second thing I noticed about him, there was no prayer. And he went into that house and he laid the staff on that boy and he said, the child's dead. And he came out and the boy was worse than he was. Take care to what I'm saying. And I have to cut a lump out of this and am. He's no passion. He's no prayer. Plenty of rhetoric. Oh, don't be getting excited. Don't be getting enthusiastic. Don't be zealous. Doesn't need that. We don't need that here. Just you go on the way you're going all the way. Don't be getting excited. Don't be running in the heat of the day. No prayer, no passion, no power, no presence. And if you want to go to the end of chapter 5, which we're not going to do tonight, if you want to go to the end of the next chapter, you'll see he had no principles. You know the story, don't you? I'll tell you who this boy was. I wrote down who he was. He's a thief, like Judas in the gospel. He's a liar like Ananias and Sapphira in the church. He's a hypocrite like Simon the Sorcerer in the Acts. He's impostors as Jude and Peter and Paul and John tells us. He's the deceiver that the Lord Jesus Christ says to watch out for in the last days. Men will deceive you. He's the Antichrist of Revelation. Oh, I tell you, my friend, you will see them at Easter and you'll see them with their staffs and you'll see them with their hats and you'll see them in unity with one with another and you'll hear them talking and pontificating, but they're dead, damning souls in their millions. You hear me now. And when a boy could get this close here, don't you tell me they're not close and deceptive. Oh, they are. 
And we have been warned about it time and time again in the Word of God. The only thing that the Lord Jesus mentions twice in, in Matthew 24, he only mentions the earthquakes, he only mentions the famines, he only mentions a whole lot of other things, the wars and the rumors of wars, he only mentions them once, but when he comes to deception, twice. Twice. This is a deceiver of the highest order, and he had no principles. You know what happened? You know, you know, do you know the end of the story? Well, if you don't, you should. Naaman the Syrian, the great Syrian general, reeking with leprosy, dying with leprosy, came to Elisha from Damascus, the enemies of Israel. He came to, he came to Elisha for healing. You know the story, don't you? He says, I'll go up to the waters of Ban and Parpa and I'll wash myself. You can go if you like, Elisha was saying, but you'll be no better. You go into the Jordan and you'll dip seven times and in the seventh time he come up and his flesh was as a child and he's overwhelmed. He says, now I know there's a God in Israel. Oh, here's talents of gold. And Elisha says, I don't want them. He brought with him, as I slipped my mind, an amount of talents of silver and, and clothing and all that he brought. And he says to Elijah, here now, I'm going to give you this, oh, to be healed. Do you know what I want? Want? Do you want, want from you, Elijah? What do you want? I want a cartload of soil from Israel. And I want to bring it back to Damascus and I want to put a monument up to Israel in Ma the enemy in Damascus. That there's a God in Israel and the God has healed me and he's cleansed me. What does this rascal do here? He follows him. He said, you know, Elijah didn't, Elisha didn't mean that. When he got down, an old, big, proud Naaman, the general Naaman, he saw him coming, running after him. With the, with the cart of soil heading away up, praising God for being cleansed, praising God for being saved, a young convert. This rascal comes in behind and, and Naaman jumps down. He comes down to where he is. He says, what? he says, what's wrong, Gehazi? He says, Elisha sent me. He's a liar. He never sent him. He says, there's come two men down to us, two young men down to us, and they, and, and they want the money. They, they want some of the gold and Elisha's sorry that he didn't take it for them. Wanted for them. Didn't want it for them, wanted it for himself. Watch the God channel, boys. Watch them. Benny Hinn in this crowd. Oh, give us more, give us more. Trust God, trust God, praise God. Joyce Mayer and the lick of her. Gloves is off tonight. And he ran after, he, he ran and he went out and he got and he stopped him on the road going back and he said, he says, listen, we need, he, he wants some of that money now. He didn't want it. Elisha didn't take it. The gospel's not for sale, let me tell you. That's why Elisha didn't take anything off him. That's why he had no envelopes or no collection boxes. The gospel is free. So the whosoever will, and let it be this pagan Syrian general 
was a gospel for all men. Oh, he says, there's two boys have come and they want it. They want it and they didn't want it. He wanted it. See, their lies and the greed and the hypocrisy. All in this man, so-called servant of the Lord. But Elisha saw it. <laughs> Read it when you go home. Be good. You'll sleep better off. <laughs> Elisha says, Where were you, Gehazi? Oh, your servant was nowhere. <laughs> Your servant was here and there. He was nowhere, no. Oh, you were nowhere, no, no, nowhere. He says, my heart followed thee. And I saw thee. And I saw you with the raiment, and I saw you with the silver, and I saw you digging a hole, and I saw you putting it into it. And now he said this, Elisha said this to him, is this the time for vineyards and olive yards? What was in his mind? He's going to buy ground. All the time in this boy's heart and all that was going on, all he could think of was the greed. All he could think of was materialism. Is this the time now to be building, to buy in vineyards and olive yards and planting them? To, that was, he knew what was in his heart. That's what he wanted the money for. And Elisha said, The leprosy of Naaman will cleave onto you. But he didn't end there. And onto your family. I tell you, it's a dangerous thing to touch the child of God, especially a young convert. Do you not think that, Na that Naaman went on with that load of stuff and praising the Lord? Do you not think... I thought Elijah said he didn't need it. Elisha said he didn't need anything. I thought this, this is, a, he wouldn't have known. This, this is the servant of God. What damage he might have done to that man. What damage these boys are doing. To young converts. And even before they be converted. Keeping them from it. And we need to expose them. And preach against them, and I will. And he says the leprosy, the leprosy, he says, will, of Naaman will cleave unto you until the day you die and unto your family. The sins of the father visit unto the third and fourth generation. Now, you don't take that as some take it. And we're not going down that line tonight. You don't take it as some take it. It's because my father sinned that I am the way I am. That may not be the case. But I'll tell you what it means more than anything else. If you have a drunken father it's quite likely that those sins will go to the child. If you have a mother on drugs when she's, she, she has a child in her womb, those drugs will affect the child. 
and on we could go. But we're not. We're going to leave this boy where he is and we're going to watch out for them at Easter and every day because the Antichrist is a deceiver and the last days deception is ripe and we need discerning, understanding, knowledge and wisdom to know who's who in these days. You'll test them by the cross and the blood and the passion and the power and the resurrection. That's how you'll test them. You'll test them on the, on the doctrine of Christ, the incarnation, the substitution, the atonement. That's how you test them. May God help us to learn from these scriptures.